1: I thought I could give a talk with a candy in my mouth, but... (laughs) Sorry. When I first went on a silent retreat, we ate really slow. That was the way we practiced in the insight meditation tradition. And then after some of those retreats, I went to one of Thich Hans uh, retreats. And in Thich Hans retreats, you eat even slower than that. And the practice of eating is you take a bite. And then while you're chewing, you put the utensil down until you're completely done chewing and swallowing. And then you pick up another bite. Also, in the insight meditation tradition, um, when I first learned how to walk, you walk really, really slowly for 45 minutes. So, uh, usually you do it in a straight line. So, uh, people would go outside, for example, by themselves, and you would pick like a tree, and you would just walk to the tree for 45 minutes. (laughs) If you think these things are imprisoning, I'm not done. <laughs> Before lunch every day, Norman Feldman, my, my first teacher, he taught a practice where we did 35 minutes of standing. So picture this. You've just been sitting for, you walked for 45, you, you sat for 45 minutes, you walked slowly for 45 minutes, you sat for 45 minutes, you walked slowly for 45 minutes, you sat for 45 minutes, and then you have to stand still for 35 minutes before lunch. So, (laughs) come on. Thank you, that's the end of (laughs) (laughs) Um, On this retreat, the reason why we do slow walking is to really come out of meditation and start to have that very sensitive experience of moving the body and feeling how the floor meets the feet and noticing how the mind states start changing as more movement and sensation come in the body but keeping the dust of our attention really settled. And then, this strange thing happens where Gil suddenly makes a sound, clack, and then we bow and take off, running, really running, walking really, really fast. in the Korean tradition, you run, you run for the meditation practice, and especially the women you see, if you've ever been to a, a Korean Zen center, there's all these women dressed in like very beautiful silver uh, or gray robes, and then in meditation practice, they take off and they go kind of like. Jogging <laughs> Smiling, jogging. You know. So one of the great things about the uh, walking fast in meditation practice is the point is to forget about yourself. Sometimes so much mindfulness associated with going slow makes us hyper-self-conscious. You walk in the toes. That's really good for four minutes or five minutes. The point of speeding up is we start going fast enough that you're in samadhi. You completely forget about yourself. And you become part of one body, part of a community that's moving. And once in a while the mind comes in and measures, you know, like there are retreats where people are right literally up against, some of you in this retreat have been literally up against the back of somebody else. I once taught walking meditation to a group of psychiatrists in um, in, um, Cape Cod and one time during the walking meditation this one guy was so irritated with the person in front of him he passed him. (laughs) (laughs) But the point of the walking is you get going fast enough that you forget about yourself which means you become yourself. And the same is true with the eating. If you come from a John cabot zinn background or a Tiknot Han background, where you're like, "I'm going to go on retreat and I'm going to just taste each morsel of as if there's nobody else in the world, you know, I'm just going to eat my carrots so slowly, and feel the temperature and going down. And like that's really wonderful, but not in community. So here we eat. And sometimes, it might feel a little bit fast. And sometimes it might feel a little slow. And sometimes you have to work with a mind that's judging yourself based on how everyone else is eating. But we eat as one body. Sometimes you have your cloths wrapped up just in time. And sometimes the bow happens at the end of the meal before your cloth is all wrapped up. Which I do on purpose sometimes too, if you haven't (laughs) noticed. (laughs) (laughs) When you eat, we just enjoy eating and we don't make it special and we don't make it precious. And the same is true with bowing. When you bow, you bow... You meet the person you're bowing at the bottom of the bow, but you don't make it special. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's not holy, it's not sacred. It's just a bow. Same with our food. We eat it, we appreciate it, but we don't make it extra special. And this can happen sometimes in spiritual practice. Is, uh, We get a little bit precious about things. We just practice being ourselves. That's it. That's the punchline. The snow out there on the grass is not measuring its value all the time. We want so much for somebody to tell us what our value is. We want an authority figure to tell us what our value is. And in this practice we start to learn that the authority is just this moment. Recognizing your own true nature, which is part of the harmony of this whole world. The way I understand this is being compassionate with all aspects of life. And everything here is set up for you to have insight into this for you to cultivate a deeper more compassionate relationship with life which includes this also and not to forget that the ground that you stand on is relationship and the air you breathe is relationship and the food you eat is relationship so I thought one way of continuing our nuts-and-bolts Dharma talks is by using a koan to look at this theme of uh, samadhi that we picked up yesterday. Do you remember yesterday? The pause, the stop? Of course a period is not really a stop, is it? It's a pause. Maybe an article ends with a period, but a sentence ends with a period, and then there's another sentence. So there's this pause, and in that pause, protection. So, case 32 from the Blue Cliff Record. The title of this uh, koan is uh, Elder Ting Stands Motionless. One day, Elder Ting asked the teacher Lin Chi, "What is the teaching of Buddhism?" Lin Chi got down off of his seat, grabbed Elder Ting, and slapped him. Ting just stood there motionless. Someone standing next to Elder Ting leaned over and said, Elder Ting, why don't you bow? And Elder Ting started bowing and right at the bottom of his bow, he experienced great awakening. So, Elder Ting uh, was a very appreciated elder of the community. Probably had been practicing a very, very long time. There's three characters in the story, right? So there's Elder Ting. So this is the the elder in the community who's been practicing a really, really long time. Then there's Lin Chi. Lin Chi is the Chinese uh, name for Rinzai. Um, In Zen, That Broadly speaking, there are two uh, main traditions. One is the Soto School. The heart of the Soto School is Dogen, which most of you hear me teach about over and over again. He's at the heart of what we're doing here. And the other school is the Rinzai School, or the Lin Chi School, of which this building is part. This building is part of that lineage, which is a lineage that really focuses on koan study. Mm-hmm. So Lin Chi, the teacher in this story, is, it's important to know, is this really intense, very disciplined, kind of like, you know the Zen teacher you have in your mind as the Zen teacher? <laughs> yeah. That's Lin Chi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? And um, so here, here he is in his high seat. And then there's this third character, which is my favorite part of this koan, Which is an anonymous person. Could be anybody. So, um... Elder Ting asks Lin Chi, what's the great meaning of the Buddha's teaching? Um... There are two ways to understand that question. One is, it could be a test is Elder Ting kind of testing the teacher? The other way, which is more how I interpret the the story, is Elder Ting is saying, is asking the teacher, what's the point? Has anyone had this yet on the retreat? You're sitting there doing meditation practice, bells not ringing, You're staring down the timekeeper.
0: <laughs>
1: They're not moving. And after while, what? what is the point? What's the point? But there's also a deeper version of that story. Which is sometimes life is really, really hard. And you don't get what you want. And your body is not working the way you thought it would work. And your relationships turn out to be good and not so good. Hard stuff comes up between people. Even in the most loving, loving relationships. And we might lie in bed and think, what's the point? And be frozen with that question. So I think more that's how where this is coming from is like when you're on your knees and you're wondering what's the point but keep in mind that this is coming through the experience of an elder it's not the what's the point of an 18 year old it's a what's the point of a 70 year old So listen to what happens. He asks, what's the point? What is this? What is this? What is the teaching? What is this all about? This practice, what is this about? And Lin Chi is up on a high seat. So uh, traditionally, the teacher sits on an elevated seat. If any of you have been in formal Buddhist temples, the teacher's always up on a seat. We don't do that here. Uh, the doku san room, the interview room where I do interviews with you, when I go into that room to set up the seats a little higher that I sit on, the first thing I do is I <laughs> put it back on the floor. Maybe traditionally sometimes it makes sense because then if the teacher's on the high seat, you can see everybody. But in meetings, maybe it's not so helpful. Some of you know I. I have this bib that I wear called a rakasu, which is very meaningful for for me. I always wear it when I practice and when I teach. And um, uh, this retreat I decided not to wear it. Because I keep thinking now that uh, there's more students and there's mentorship happening, that I received that in a tradition that has a lot of meaning for me that I practice in. But I don't teach that tradition. The way I teach is kind of a hybrid of different practices and different traditions. And so that means the people who study with me, they might feel if I wear a Raksu that they should go get a Raksu. And maybe there's a kind of unconscious pressure there that they should do that. And also, maybe for some people who don't know that tradition of wearing robes, the rakasu also might be a divider between me and other people. So uh, I'm experimenting with not wearing it. It's actually hidden in my underwear. <laughs> rolled up really small. I've, I've tattooed it, actually. On <laughs> but this is an important detail in the story, is... Elder Ting is asked this question, and then, or Elder Ting asks this question, and then Lin Shi, the teacher, gets off of his high seat. So you can imagine the teacher gets down off of his seat. And my reading of the story is that's the whole teaching. The student says, "What's the point?" And we all know the teacher can go on and on about what the point is. That's not Zen teaching. Zen teaching is immediate intimacy. The teacher gets off of his seat, grabs Elder Ting and slaps him. (laughs) I wish that I could do this
0: in interviews.
1: I really do. Some of you come in there, and I want to hit you.
0: <laughs>
1: but, but imagine that. The teacher comes down and hits you, and Elder Ching just goes... He's right there, motionless. Remember the stop? If I were in Lin Chi's shoes, I would get down off the seat and I'd lean over and
0: tsk. I'd
1: kiss the student right on the lips. But I don't know where I'd get in more trouble for <laughs> if there was a reputation of me hitting students or kissing students. Yeah, I went on this retreat with Michael and he kissed me on the lips and, and I stood there motionless, you know, and then I found a lawyer <laughs> But imagine that. Imagine if you went to the teacher, and you're like in this question, and they actually got down to the same level as you, and just kissed you. And he just stood there motionless. That's the same as the fast walking. You're so in the experience, you're not there, because you're so there. Elder Ting is right there. But in this story, that's not enough. It's not enough just to be right there. We've all had this experience of being right there, this kind of mystical moment. You know when you were on the beach in Thailand dancing at 4 (laughs) a.m. You knew the sun was coming up. And then something about those experiences we congeal around, and then we say, oh yeah, I have a spiritual life and I have a spiritual practice. Because of this amazing open experience I had in Thailand on mushrooms and LSD. (laughs) But this is an interesting story because that non-dual moment isn't enough. Elder Ting's just standing there motionless, And then, the person next to him says, Elder Ting, why don't you bow? See, Elder Ting is just motionless. He hasn't had the experience go through him yet. He's just had the stopping. And then, he bows. Just like we have to do. And in that moment of bowing, he's appreciating the experience, he's activating his insight, he's embodying his awakening. It's not enough to stand there (sighs) motionless. We also have to do, thank you. (laughs) Oh, just imagine Elder Ting, he gets slapped and he's like, oh, but then he has to bow. There's some footnotes in the koans that are really, really interesting. So in the footnote about the slap, that slap on the face, The footnote says, The teacher is as kind as an old woman. (laughs) You could say, as kind as a grandmother. It's a loving slap. In the motionless section, the footnote says, He can't avoid losing his nostrils. It took me a few years to figure that one out. He can't avoid losing his nostrils. So this is a reference to water buffaloes. And buffaloes have these rings in their nostrils traditionally. And that's how they get pulled around. And we get pulled around too like this, don't we? by ideas. We have some story that's repeating over and over in meditation practice. And you have a nose ring and that story is just pulling you around by the
0: nostrils.
1: And then there's one last footnote at the end. It says, um, When someone dies in the eastern house, the people of the western house help them mourn. When somebody dies in the eastern house, the people of the western house help them mourn. So this refers to the great death. In Zen it's called the great death. The great death is that moment where you've seen some story and then you realize, Oh! That's not who I am. Oh! I don't have to keep telling that again. That's the great death. And in that moment that that death happens, and the eastern side of the personality, the western side, Mourns When that death happens on the western side, the eastern side mourns. Or, maybe the western side is that anonymous person who comes over to you and says... Have you had experiences on the retreat where someone just comes up to you and suggests something? Or tells you to do something? It's like saying, why don't you appreciate your life? (coughs) On retreat, this practice we're doing is we're learning how to stop giving ourselves explanations about everything. And what do you do when you don't have an explanation about everything? You just have your life. And you stop talking to yourself about all the stuff you're going through. And then you discover some new aspects of yourself, not because you're looking for new aspects of yourself, but because you've set yourself up in a position where you can be discovered which is like reversing how we normally do our life. We're normally doing all the reaching, and in practice, you're just setting yourself up as a field in which uh, you can be discovered. If you're not reaching, you're free. If you're Here, and you're afraid, you're free and afraid. If you're here, and you're upset, you're here and you're upset. Sadness and fear can be here, and our training is just not to refuse it. Really uncomfortable sensations can be bubbling, and our practice is not to refuse them so that we don't make what happens in our mind into something that's wrong. What's showing up's not wrong, and I'm not wrong because it's showing up. All the stupid things you did, all the stupid things you said, all the stupid things that were done to you, all the stupid things that were said to you, they're all here in our cellular memory, and they will all show up on meditation retreat and none of it's wrong, and you're not wrong. And in that moment where you're beating yourself up, just imagine Lin Chi coming over and kissing you. If this practice is teaching us anything, it's how to abide in the place before mistakes. How to feel something before our mind says, this is a mistake. Sometimes when I hear students talk about their parents, and they only have one way of talking about their parent, that's very flat and one-sided, I always think to myself, we have a lot of years of work. <laughs> because if they're talking about one of their parents in such a binary way, they're probably experiencing themselves that way too. Sometimes I hear people talk about an ex partner in also these binary ways. They hate them to death, you know. And that happens, I think. Oh, God, we have a lot of years of practice. And then, sometimes I hear people come in and they're really working with those stories. And they come in and they have a memory or a dream or a way of talking about that same person they hated that has a little more nuance in it. I hate them and also like they were good in these ways. I hate my ex And he's a good father. We need to be able to have enough space in our hearts that we can have three, four, seven, nine dimensional views of people. But when we're reinforcing the same old narratives over and over, we're just at war with our environment. Reinforcing our defense mechanisms, as Freud called them. And one of the defense mechanisms we all use that we have a hard time seeing is projection. And when we're projecting all the time we get very, very rigid, and it becomes really hard to learn from painful experiences. Because if we're used to projecting onto other people all the time, and not being able to own some of those projections, we get stiff as people. That becomes our central defense mechanism, you know. So this is all to say, just to give yourself to this moment and when you do, even if it's difficult, it's a joyful moment. You might think that sounds crazy, but it's possible to have pain and have joy in the next moment after that pain. So it's a great thing to not be afraid of the present. To not be afraid of encountering what's here. So, be yourself. Don't impress anybody. There's nobody to impress. Try this in walking meditation. Try to do walking meditation, not impressing anybody. Just walking yourself, just being yourself. Who are you trying to impress, anyways? And once in a while on retreat, you should get embarrassed. You should make a mistake, and blood should come to your cheeks. <laughs> I wanted to read a poem I've been reading this uh, poet that I never knew about named Gail Jones (laughs) she's an African American woman from Mississippi and uh, uh, she's still alive and uh, a lot of her poetry was written in the 70s Uh, her she was in a pretty violent relationship, and um, her and her partner, um, <clears throat> her partner's not, not alive anymore, but um, she wrote a lot of poems about the intensity of her relationship with her partner. Um, so, anyways, this one's called Deep Song. The blues calling my name. She is singing a deep song. She is singing a deep song. I am human. He calls me crazy. He says, you must be crazy. I say, yes, I'm crazy. He sits with his knees apart. His fly is broken. She is singing a deep song. He smiles. She is singing a deep song. Yes, I'm crazy. I care about you. I care, I care about you. I care. He lifts his eyebrows. The blues is calling my name. I tell him he'd better do something about his fly. He says something softly. He says something so softly that I can't even hear him. He is a dark man. Sometimes he is a good dark man. Sometimes he is a bad dark man. I love him. I'll read those last three lines again. Sometimes he is a good dark man. Sometimes he is a bad dark man. I love him. What a strange poem. Is it a love poem? Is it the blues? Is it a poem about sorrow? Is it a poem about being helpless? As in like, I'm helplessly in love with this person? So the thing about this poem that uh, I can't stop thinking about, because I've read this poem so many times, you have no idea, is that when we really look into our loving relationships, we also find the opposite. And you see that better with parents and siblings and people close to us than anywhere else. You hear people say this about their parents all the time. They know me better than anyone else and they don't know me at all. we're relational beings. So that means when we start to sit still and we start to feel our breathing, the thoughts and images that are going to arise are mostly relational. Things people said to us, ways we think about ourselves that we've internalized, it's all relational, you see. And that means that Within that matrix of relationship we're also going to have the whole spectrum of how we feel about relationships He's a great husband, but he's not a great father Or she's a great lover, but she's not so good at cleaning Because we want everybody to be some kind of ratio of parent and lover. Have you noticed this? <laughs> and, and like, sometimes we want them more lover, but they happen to be in a more parent zone, phase. <clears throat> and so there's this always this negotiation in relationships, but in this tension between Wanting the person to be more lover and wanting the person to be more parent. There's no way out of
0: this.
1: (laughs) And what we're learning how to do in meditation practice is be able to be with the complexity of that. Someone came in to interview, I think a year ago, and said to me, I've been divorced, I'm over it, I'm done. And I thought, oh God, (laughs) this is going to be a really long retreat, you know. What I want to hear is, it was really hard, I'm still working on it, I'm so glad it's over, I'm a much better person not in the relationship, and there was like some qualities about them that are still with me. Oh, that's so hard to let in, isn't it? (laughs) Not making them black and white. They're a good man. They're a bad man. I love you. But our love can hold both of these things. Not in a passive way, but in a way with deep wisdom. So that's Elder Ting. Getting slapped. Right here. Yes, you have all those stories, and you can be right here in this moment. That that story you have that you shouldn't be single and you should be married. That story you have that your body should have a baby in it. That story you have about how you are not good enough at concentration. Like Those stories, you can't always make them go away. They're the stories we have. But when they define who we are, we're suffering. The heart can't open and we're not ourselves. We're comparing our life to how we think we're supposed to be or how others say we're supposed to be. And you can work on that with bowing. When I bow to Elaine, I'm not bowing to Elaine. When I bow to the bull, I'm not bowing to the bull. When I bow to the Buddha, I'm not bowing to the Buddha. That's subject and object. When you're bowing, you're just saying to yourself, just this. You've got all those stories spinning around. You come back to the breath. That's a bow. Just this. Maybe you should try this when someone passes you the salt. Someone passes you the salt and you bow. And instead of thinking, I'm bowing to the salt. (laughs) Or, am I bowing to the salt or to the person passing the salt? Or, I hope someone sees how I'm bowing (laughs) so well with my whole heart. When you bow, the answer is always the same. Just this. And you can try this. When the salt gets passed over, you can just say to yourself, just this. When you're caught up in all of these stories that like, just seem to be massaging your brain, you can just come back to the breath, just this. And the funny thing is you can't really bow to yourself. We always joke and say, when you bow to the cushion, you're bowing to yourself. But try bowing to yourself. (laughs) When (laughs) When you bow to yourself, you're always bowing to somebody else. And when you bow, you're rearranging the greed, the hatred, and the black and white thinking in you. This year, during the Black Lives Matter movement, I was really struck by a group of women uh, who created three principles uh, for the movement. And I wanted to read these principles because I think they're exactly what we're trying to embody. The first principle is uh, lead with love. Lead with love. Isn't that what we're doing when we're bowing? Isn't that what we're doing when we're coming back to the breath again and again and again? Lead with love. Number two, low ego, high impact. Low ego, high impact. Not no ego. Low ego. Low ego, high impact. And the third one is, um, move at the speed of trust. Move at the speed of trust. Move at the speed of trust. Do you know what that feels like? Move at the speed of trust. Maybe you're moving so fast around this building that you actually don't feel what's supporting you. Maybe when you walk down the hall, you've forgotten to feel how the floor is lifting up as you walk to support you. Or maybe with your eyes, you're still just looking at things with your ego, with your cravings. And you're on top of everything still. Food's good. The food's not good. Food's coming fast. Too fast. Slow. Fast. More chopsticks. Clean them. Oh, God, I dropped them. I'm terrible. Bad. My dad. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine looking around and whatever you look at is like a good friend waving back to you. Could you imagine that? Oh. Imagine if we trained in this all day, that you walked around and every time your eyes just touch anything it's a good friend waving to you. Not the friend you're thinking about right now, (laughs) but but just good friends everywhere. Because what happens is, is when our hearts soften, our imagination has space. We can see more clearly. We can tell different stories. We can move with more trust. And where we don't have trust, we know how to work with that. We can recognize, hey, I'm just not feeling trust. We can, like naming that's a really important thing to name too. And then art and life become inseparable from each other. Just like the two sides of a coin. Can't separate them. Just like the trees. The tree in winter is the same tree as the tree in summer. The person you hate is also the person you love. The mind that loves and the mind that hates It's still the same mind. You can see it in practice, eh? Hating, 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 come back to the breath. Oh, really loving, 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 (laughs)
0: loving.
1: And I hate big pronouncements like saying, to be an artist is... But I'll say, "To, to be a practitioner, to be an artist is to be at home in these many, many things. Is to be able to live with these many, many possibilities. To really feel the suchness of each moment, waving to you. Not separate from you either. The perfection of every moment. The art of every moment. It's like at Christmas time where, you know, you see a kid get some amazing Toys R Us. Fancy toy. They unwrap it and two minutes later they're outside throwing pebbles in the pond. (laughs) Or jumping in the rain, or throwing sticks into the ocean, as my son likes to do, because the pond, or the ocean, or the forest, or just piling blocks, has the suchness in it. The plastic thing doesn't have the suchness in it for very long. So this slap in the face, or this kiss on the lips, it can happen any moment. It can be an email, it can be a phone call about a friend with cancer, it can be bad news, it can be good news. And this person saying, why don't you bow, is probably the person next to you on the retreat. Something that they do that's deep in practice that reminds you. Oh, yeah. I Can appreciate this moment I can truly recognize this moment So We're on our second day I'm going to encourage you to slow down a little bit A little quieter. You've heard two Dharma talks. You've learned all the forms we're going to cover on the retreat. We're not going to surprise you with any new ones. (laughs) And so now our practice is to just keep dropping into the zone. Together. Together. We have to do this together. Elder Ting says, what's the point? Lin Chi gets down and shows him. (laughs) And then he appreciates it. He's not just on the surface. Thank you.